Let us now turn and read together from the church's confession as we find it in Lord's Day 9 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which can be found in the back of a book of praise on page 525. We're looking at the first article of the Apostles' Creed regarding God the Father and our creation, as the title above it shows us. Lord's Day 9 asks this question, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as a faithful father. So far, the reading of the church's confession this afternoon. After the proclamation of God's word, let us respond by singing from hymn 72, all the stanzas of hymn 72 following the sermon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we come to the first article of the Apostles' Creed, the confession of our faith where we profess, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. In this article we have a confession that says a great deal about how we may approach God and how we may address God. And I hope and pray that this afternoon we will all grow in our understanding and, and our appreciation for the rich meaning and significance of this confession. For what we confess in this article, besides other great truths such as the, the doctrine of creation and, and the doctrine of providence as well, which comes into further focus, closer uh, focus in Lord's Day 10, as well as the doctrine of God's sovereignty. It's all here in this, in this passage, but among them all, and perhaps above them all, is the wonderful doctrine of adoption. For what's highlighted for us here is that the God who made the universe and who holds it together in the, in the palm of his hand is the one who has made a relationship with us so that he is our God and our Father. You see, sometimes we think too little of Christ's redeeming work. We fail to appreciate as, as fully as we are able the marvel of what he has done for us. And so we fail to consider the great outcome, the great consequence of our redemption. 
That is not to say that we are unthankful for the great work that Christ did to atone for all of our sins and to grant us forgiveness through his death and resurrection, sparing us from from everlasting misery, which we deserved. But he did more than that. He died on the cross to reconcile us to God. We saw and heard about that this morning so that we may have fellowship and communion with God. That's the highest privilege that we receive through the redemptive work of Christ, that because of Christ, we may be called God's children who may call upon God without any hesitation as our Father. And so I preach God's word to you this afternoon in light of Lord's Day 9 and the passages that we read earlier under this theme, the wonder of knowing and confessing God as our Father. And we'll see first the comfort of this confession, secondly the basis of this confession, and lastly the application of this confession. First we look at the comfort of this confession. In Lord's Day 9, the Catechism captures something that we are taught in many places in the scriptures, and quite particularly in a passage like the first verses of 1 John 3 that we read earlier, the truth that the Son of God became the Son of Man in order that the sons of men may become sons of God. That's the precious truth and great comfort that we may consider this Lord's Day, that the almighty, eternal creator of heaven and earth is my God and my Father. And the way that John describes this in the passage we read earlier is by exclaiming, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. This is an amazing, astounding, astonishing, jaw-dropping truth that, that, and it provides untold, untold comfort for the Christian to know that the one true living and eternal God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of, of of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who spoke all things into being out of nothing, by the power of his word, is my God and my Father. It's a profoundly personal statement of a profoundly personal faith. John alludes to to that fact that it was a particular kind of love that, that was so special. The word that John uses is potipos in the Greek, which means Of what kind or of what country is this love? By using this word, he's pointing out that this love is is from another country, or as we might say, from another world, from another planet, out of this world. He's saying that God's love is exotic and, and mysterious, that it comes from a distant land. And John's sense of astonishment is really obvious. And it, and it arises for two reasons. In the first place, because of the nature of that love. And secondly, because of the objects of that love. 
So let's consider that for a moment. First, we consider the nature of this love. What kind of love is it that God has given to us? Well, it's the same kind of love that the Father shows to his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Now we might wonder, is that, is that really true? Is, is the love that God has for his sinless, perfectly obedient Son, his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, the same kind of love as, as he has for us? Well, to answer those questions, we must listen to the testimony of Scripture. We can see that John is quite evidently astonished here when, when he considers God's love and, and communicates it to his readers. There was something striking about this love. And for further confirmation of this, we could, we could look back at John chapter 17 where, where John wrote of the same thing in, in his gospel account. There he records the Lord Jesus' high priestly prayer to his Father. In verse 23 of John 17, Jesus prays, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and, even, oh, and love them even as you have loved me. Jesus says that the love that the Father has for him is the love that, that, that he has for his own. He has that love for his brothers and sisters, for those whom I love. And if that wasn't enough, the Lord Jesus repeats it in verse 26 a little bit further. He says, I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make, that, make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So think of it. God, the Father in eternity, has a perfect, pure, holy, eternal love for his son, Jesus Christ, his perfectly obedient and sinless son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that same love is the love that he has for those who are his children by faith. That's the comfort of knowing God as your father, that he has loved you, not only with, with an eternal love before the foundation of the world, but that he has loved you with the very same love by which he loves his eternal and only begotten son, Jesus Christ. We can see then why John says, see what kind of love this is. It's so amazing that, that it defies comprehension and understanding. But it's true. The love that God has for his son is the same love that he has for you, for us. That is the nature of the love God has for us. But the love of God is not only an astonishing kind of love because of the nature of that love, but also because of the objects, that is, the, the recipients of that love. The text says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Well, think of that. 
that those who had abandoned God, who had abandoned his will, scorned his providence and his love, lived in hostility and rebellion towards God, and and who had pursued their own heart's desires. It's we who are called the children of God. Those who were deserving of nothing from God but death and hell and eternal punishment because of our sins committed against an infinite God. We are called the children of God. And when we contrast God's love for Christ, his his perfectly obedient son, as opposed to his love for us, disobedient, rebellious, hell-deserving sinners, that really boggles the mind. It truly flabbergasts us. It leaves us almost speechless that God would love you and love me. But John says it's true. That's the comfort. And sensing how incredible this sounds, he repeats, and so we are, beloved, we are God's children now. This is perhaps the greatest comfort in the world, and you have it given to you already now, to all who belong to Jesus Christ. We want any practical application this afternoon, something that we can take home and and meditate upon for a few thousand years this afternoon. Here it is, the eternal God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of heaven and earth, is my God and my Father. We come now to our second point to consider the basis of this confession. This teaching that forgiven sinners are called children of God is something that does not come by nature. John is not talking here about the idea that that everyone has God as their father by virtue of the fact that God made them, some will say. John is talking about something more special, something that comes because of Jesus Christ, something that is supernatural, something that comes only by knowing Jesus Christ personally as one's Lord and Savior. So how do we come to this knowledge and this status? Well, back in John chapter 1, verse 12, when John spoke there of of our Lord Jesus coming to the Jewish people, he said, John said, and he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So it's not by nature that one becomes a child of God. It is the result of, a, of, a, of supernaturally entrusting oneself to Jesus Christ, believing in him, turning from sin and from self, and trusting in him. Or consider what Paul says in the book of Galatians, in Galatians 3, 26. We read, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. It's only in Christ, trusting in Him, in faith, that one becomes a child of God. 
And consider just a few verses later in Galatians 4, verse 5 and 6. There Paul is talking about how God, in, in, in the fullness of time, sent his son to redeem those who were under the law. Speaking of those who were under the condemnation of the law, under the wrath of God, as, as sinners deserving of punishment. And then we read those words, so that, and here's the purpose for why he did this, why he came and sent his son in the fullness of time. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now it's really striking there that Paul uses an, an Aramaic phrase when, when writing to the Galatians who were Greek-speaking people. And the only reason that that makes any sense is uh, as to why he, why he does this is because he's adopting the language of Jesus Christ. That the language Jesus Christ himself spoke and the language that Christ himself used to address his father. And that makes the point even more powerful. That, that we may address God as Christ himself did. And Paul doesn't stop there, but he keeps on going, and he says, it, it, it keeps getting better, too. Saying, you are, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He made us his heirs. Think about that. He, he didn't need an heir. He already had one. How many more do you need? But he wanted to share his great and glorious inheritance also with us. Why? Was it, because, was it because we were so great? Was it because we were so special? Well, no. Paul says it was through God. He is our Father, not because of anything that, that we have done, any boxes that we have checked, but it's because of what he has done. And so what is the, what is the cause of, of this great privilege which Paul speaks of in Galatians 3 and 4, as well as in Romans 8, which, which John speaks of in 1 John 3, that we are adopted children of the Father? It's because of Jesus Christ, because He loved us, because He took the place of sinners on the cross of Calvary. It's because he was perfectly obedient, sacrificing himself and bearing the wrath of God and receiving the condemnation that you and I deserved. It's those who entrust themselves to him by faith who can become children of God. And finally, now we'll look at the application of this confession. What does this all mean for us? Well, the catechism through the centuries since it was written, has been a, a beloved document because of its practical and, and pastoral applications. The Catechism does not remain content to, to state the truth, 
and, and, and state the doctrines of Scripture in, in an objective, hypothetical, indifferent kind of way, devoid of any connection to reality. It always brings the truth down to our level, to where the rubber meets the road. And, and we see that here in Lord's Day 9. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth? And the answer gives a, a beautiful summary uh, of the practical importance and, and the pastoral significance that this confession of knowing Christ as our elder brother and having God as my God and my Father when it says, in him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. That's a beautiful confession, isn't it? Not only for the fact that, that it has the power to, to soothe our souls and, and alleviate our consciences to know that the Father of Jesus Christ is my God and my Father, and the immense spiritual comfort and consolation that, that this provides to one who trusts in Christ. But, but in, in real life, in, in the real pains and sorrows and trials that we face, this confession gives us assurance, gives us confidence, gives us the ability to trust God as to have no doubt that he will provide everything necessary for body and soul. So brothers and sisters, take this with you into the week ahead. Apply that to the, the governmental intrusion into the freedoms of our country that, that, are, that are increasingly coming under threat, as you know. Take that to the hospital room. Take that into the difficult situations and, and experiences that you face. God, your Father, is working through whatever adversity he sends us to, to turn it to our good. The catechism is saying here that, that the child of God lives in a win-win situation. Well, boys and girls, you, do you know what a win-win situation is. Well, it's a, it's a situation which ends well for everyone involved. Perhaps you have here in Edmonton to illustrate this, something similar to, to what we have in Barhead called garbage cleanup days, which happen every once in a while when you get to, to clean out all the, the clutter and, and the junk that's been collecting over the winter and, and put it all by the roadside. And then all the, all the Dutch deal finders and scavengers get to make their passes hunting for anything worth anything. You don't have to do much to, to get rid of your unwanted stuff. And if you feel like trekking around trying to find something, you might even score big and, and find treasure in someone else's junk. Well, that's a win-win. 
Well, there's something similar here in Lord's Day 9. Whether we realize it or not, God the Father is working through all things for our good. Whether it's through prosperity or adversity, rain or shine. For he is able to turn even to our good the adversity that we encounter. It's a win-win. This is, very, this is a very comforting thing for us to think about, particularly in times of adversity and, and, and dark providences, particularly in times of trial and hardships and difficulties, when, when those niggling questions and those doubts start to arise, the kind that, that we read often expressed in the Psalms, such as, where are you, God? Have you turned against me? At such times, we must remember this great comfort that you can trust in God, the God who spoke all things into being out of nothing by the power of his word. He is the almighty God who is able to turn even that adversity to your good and to your salvation. Why can you believe that? Because he is not only able to do it as almighty God, says the catechism, but also willing as a faithful father. He has demonstrated his love and his power as they came together at the cross. And so we know that no matter what comes, no matter what we have to go through, no matter where we are or, or what circ the circumstances in our lives may be in which we find ourselves, no matter, no matter what trial or difficulty, we can trust him completely that he is at work in it because he is my God and my Father because of Jesus Christ. And that's why Christ could say in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, <clears throat> which we read earlier, Fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. He addresses them as, as a little flock, the crowd that Christ was speaking to. Why does he do this? Is he belittling them, uh, talking down to them as, as one might speak to their pet? Oh, no. It's because he wants them to know that our peace does not depend on, on how powerful or how influential or how large of a group we are. A little flock is insignificant. Well, we're here this afternoon, quite full in here this afternoon, and yet we are next to nothing in the eyes of the world compared to the great sporting events taking place perhaps even at this moment where there are more people gathered there than, than could ever or would ever fit in this building. And a little flock can also be easily scared, easily intimidated. When a, a predator comes along, when adversity strikes them, they're tempted to run and, and tempted to flee and Jesus knows this. He knows the struggles that we face. He knows our fears. He knows the, the sneaking suspicions, the lingering doubts that we have. 
if he, if he really is, if God really is on our side, if, if he really can be trusted, if his purposes will be worked out in our lives, if he will remain true to his word, to never leave or abandon us. And yet he says, little flock, fear not. Perhaps you've heard it said that you can learn a lot about what makes a person tick by learning what they love. Indeed, it's true. Well, you can also learn a lot about them by, by learning what they fear. Perhaps they fear getting older. Perhaps they fear death, specifically uh, by persecution. Perhaps they fear for, for future generations and, and what they'll have to face. The increasingly militant threat of those who, who embrace a secular worldview to his little flock who are tempted to become fearful for whatever reason Christ says fear not and he gives them this remarkable reason for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom so the message is do not be discouraged don't despair Rather, be assured that your Father is working all things for his good pleasure, for his glory, and for your good. With that knowledge, we can have peace and confidence in every situation because he is all-powerful and, and trustworthy. And it's his character and it's his nature to be an, an overflowing giver, providing us with all things necessary for body and soul. And what are those things? Well, of course, he, he gives us our food and our drink and every material blessing, to be sure. He's also provided us with his word through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What a blessing it is. Can you imagine where we would be without his word we wouldn't know anything about salvation. We wouldn't know anything about Christ or about the glory that awaits those who will be saved. But God in his grace has given us this knowledge, this knowledge for our comfort in his word. And, and if you look all around you too, you also can see that the Lord has given you this church not just this building in which we worship today or regularly on Sundays, but all the people who surround us, including the leaders that God has given to provide watchful care over the flock, including the, the preachers who explain the word of God to us, as well as the communion of saints that, who, who give us encouragement and comfort and help to, as we make our way through this life together. Even in times of adversity, when we think that, that what we really need is, is to escape, to, to be rescued from the fowler's snare, and, and our prayers so often reflect this when, when we pray for safety. Safety, probably the number one request we, we make of God, keep us safe. If that's not meant in the sense of eternal safety, then it's hard to say that it's a biblical prayer at all. The catechism is very honest in saying that, 
there is even a place where adversity in this life of sorrow fits under God's sovereign fatherly care. It's not pessimistic to say that. It's simply realistic. Even in this world of darkness with many dangers that threaten us where there's sorrow and suffering and pain and difficulty and trials and troubles and tears, the comfort is that as we go through life, we have a God, we have God as our Father. He will not only be with us and strengthen us and comfort us, but he will even turn our adversity to our advantage. Everything that, that comes our way comes from God for that purpose. We may not understand it, at the time, why the Lord does this or that, why he makes us go through this or that, why he takes away our loved one, or why we have to endure this sickness. We may not understand these things, but one thing we do know, that they come from God. We are not the victims of, of chance or, or the pawns of fate. No, everything happens even down to the hair that falls from our head happens because God wills it. Our Father wills it. And He is working all things for the good of those who love Him. And so, brothers and sisters, may that give us a, a spring in our step. For we need not fear what tomorrow will bring. For though we are a little flock, yet we are in the hands of the Almighty God, our God and Father, who loves us and made us his children in Jesus Christ. Amen.